This podcast is made possible by Workiva and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Paul Lawville, CFO of Proofpoint, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 410. As you have cloud-based product, uh, you can monitor uh, whether someone's using your product. Uh, Are they getting value for it? Uh, What you don't want is to sell a product to a customer and then find they don't really use it. Uh, Monitoring customer usage, uh, making sure they're able to use it, uh, working with the customers to understand how it works for them, how it could work better, um, you know, really engaging with the customer. That, that's very important and very important for subscription businesses. Uh, also, frankly, there are a lot of new technologies now that enable you to provide better customer service. We have bots that will take uh, uh, phone calls, uh, customer service phone calls, ones that we can uh, clearly delineate uh, can be handled in, in an automated fashion. Uh, no longer do you have to necessarily wait in a queue for a human. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Eric Bartholome, CFO of Walters Kluwer Tax and Accounting. We ask Eric to take a look back and retrace his steps up the career ladder while highlighting some of his decision-making behind his career steps. Once he arrives at Walters and Kluwer, he's first in the healthcare business and then on to the tax and accounting business. Our discussion with Eric begins after these words from our sponsor. Workiva transforms the way people work through connected reporting and compliance. The facts are, a majority of senior accounting and finance professionals say their financial reporting involves a huge amount of manual work and is inherently error-prone, leading to risk. Risk that's intensified by new business complexities and the changing business climate. Link data elements, numbers, narrative, and calculations together everywhere you use them. When you change data at the source, it's changed at the destination. Gaining trust in your data and processes is that simple. Join over 3,500 customers who enjoy the benefits of using Workiva by connecting their organizations from record to report. Visit workiva.com slash CFO. Eric, as always, we like to kick things off by asking our guests 
just uh, look back for us and tell us a little bit about themselves and zero in on what were those particular experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind? Well, Jack, uh, my, my arrival to uh, the CFO seat of Walters, Kluwer, Jackson County might be a little bit different. Uh, if you go back, uh, I uh, always had an interest in math, science, and engineering and pursued an engineering degree in college and actually worked as a sales engineer in construction uh, right out of college. But in that role, I realized that I really wanted to go into into business and get my MBA. So I went back to school, got an MBA, and uh, and really approached the CFO role from uh, that from an MBA. So I call myself an MBA CFO, uh, which is a little different from a CPA CFO. Get that a little bit differently. Have a strategy background and uh, really come at the role as someone who helps a business run better. I think a CPA CFO uh, does as well, but may come at it more from the pure accounting side. So, anyway, so uh, my role here uh, as CFO of uh, Walter School of Tax and Accounting is one where not only am I helping the, the business you know, close the books, report the results, uh, and do the required financial uh, activities, uh, but I like to think what I bring to the party is experience at looking at businesses and how they operate and thinking forward strategically and helping our CEO and our business leaders drive the business forward. Now, Eric, I want to zero in on the early part of your career because I, uh, I'm aware you were at both uh, Boston Consulting Group and Pepsi. I want to, and, and there's a lot of discussion around how the CFO role has become more of a consulting role, and I have to believe your experience at BCG might have, in some ways, influenced uh, the role you play today. And if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But uh, what do you think of my analysis there? Well, I do think uh, more and more today's CFO is asked to be a business consultant. Uh, and if you if you uh, look at a lot of management consulting firms, one of the things they're particularly good at is looking at both the, say, softer side of business and the, the uh, uh, non-quantitative side of business and then turning it into uh, quantitative and quantitative results. So as a management consultant, you do a lot of CFO-like activity in that you're looking and planning the business uh, four, five, six years out, and building a building a game plan, building a roadmap, and that's a lot of what you do as a CFO. Uh, in several companies that I've worked in, PepsiCo included, and also here at Walters Core, we do uh, multi-year strategic plans. I can tell you they feel a lot like the kind of work that one might do as a management consultant. So it, uh, I, I would agree with your statement. I think it's. It's both a good, uh, a good training or a good skill set to have uh, in the modern, uh, in the modern world of the CFO. As uh, often is the case, I think many of our guests are pretty modest, and I just want to share some elements of your background, if that's all right, because I think you indicated engineering was your background, and while that's somewhat uncommon, we do have a lot of finance leaders who come from that. 
area. And again, you're, uh, you went to BCG, which uh, has a reputation of attracting those types of, uh, and I think the expression is propeller. Propeller heads. I appreciate that. But um, it seems to me that up to that point, your, your, uh, your resume, which also includes two Ivy League uh, degrees and your MBA was at Harvard. I mention that because that's not an uncommon move to go to a, a sort of a blue chip, a consulting house like Boston Consulting Group or Bain or McKinsey. From there, you go, you enter the corporate world. And here's where your, uh, perhaps your career intersects so many others where you're going to get that corporate experience. And it's at PepsiCo, which I have to say we've had other uh, Pepsi uh, CFOs who've had their early career roots at Pepsi. And I don't doubt it was a positive experience for you. You did spend six years there in the finance realm. And uh, would love to know about when it came time to leave BCG, what were you thinking? What was the type of corporate role you were originally looking for? Sure. Yeah, I, I can tell you the, uh, uh, so the, the last role, the last uh, project I worked on at BCG uh, was one where I was really kind of embedded with the client and working with them on some longer-term strategic questions. And, you know, as, as, I, as I went through that project and did that work, I sat there and said to myself, you know, I actually think I would like to be in a company uh, and not the outside person, not the outside hired gun, so to speak. Um, and so I wanted to find an opportunity with a company where, frankly, they had a good uh, track record of being able to take uh, ex-consultants, folks out of uh, out of good consulting firms, give them uh, you know uh, good, fast, strong onboarding, and and then find roles uh, where they could uh, you know continue to contribute in uh, in the organization. And I would say PepsiCo is great at that, and that's probably why there are a number of folks who do uh, who do end up coming from PepsiCo. It is a great, if you will, academy. For uh, learning business, it is um, uh, you know, analytically based. It is uh, as a consumer products company. Uh, frankly, there's a lot of data. Uh, there's a lot of information to be analyzed. So it's a, it certainly can consume people who like to do analysis and like to uh, build plans based on the facts and figures. And uh, so it, it was a great place as a next step. And I spent half a dozen years there. I really enjoyed it. And the path, the path that I took uh, to uh, the finance role was originally to Mexico in a uh, corporate strategy role. And corporate strategy at PepsiCo, and this is not atypical with other companies, corporate strategy at PepsiCo uh, falls under the fault of the CFO. So you're working very, very closely with the office of CFO and other other finance executives. So then it becomes a once you learn the business and once the business learns you and gets to know you, uh, it is a very logical step into uh, operating. And that's really how my incident occurred into into the office of CFO. Now that's interesting, and unlike other CFOs, you've already sort of got this strategy strike on your sleeve from BCG. 
so it's it's not a surprise maybe that you enter into the strategy ranks at PepsiCo, really. What I'm curious about, as you look back, and, and, or as you know, a business at large, reports to the CFO, the strategy uh, group, is that uncommon, or what does that tell us about PepsiCo and what, uh, what they're thinking? Well, having, having left there a number of years ago, I, I, I would be hesitant to say I know what, kind of what they're thinking, even if that's the current structure. But this was at that time. Um, at that time, it, yeah, what did it mean? That was for you at that time, I guess, yeah. Well, I think, it, I think it meant that they viewed, uh, as do many companies, as, as I would say Walter Stewart does, uh, view the CFO as uh, someone key to helping set strategy for, uh, for the organization. Uh, that, that analytic finance person has to also be able to think broadly and strategically to help, help uh, formulate direction of the company going forward. And so, uh, you know, I think that is that is the feeling, that is the belief that uh, in an organization that ties uh, strategy and finance together, that they don't use strategy as something off in the corner where they do some market research and that's about it, but they're actively involved in helping run the company. And to be in that role, you also have to be connected to uh, the ongoing financials, the, the, the data, the uh, quantitative guts of the business. So combining or having strategy and finance working closely together says that that's how this company wants to operate. You kind of don't go where we expect you to go next, meaning that I think after leaving Pepsi, there are plenty of companies you could have gone into a CFO role in, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but at the same time, you sort of jump into uh, the banking world or the investment world. What would you... Tell us about your next career move. Well, there's something very appealing uh, to me about the financial service world. Uh, at, at the time, it is still is obviously a, a, a growing, important part of the uh, uh, the economy. Uh, frankly, I uh, spent a fair amount of uh, my life in the Boston area, and Boston is certainly a uh, well-known. Uh, financial service uh, wealth management uh, center. So I was particularly intrigued uh, with that business, and uh, and so I, I wanted to try that out. And frankly, as a finance professional, I think you get a lot of good experience by working in different industries. Now, let, me, let me explain that for a second. Uh, one of the most important things, it's a little bit of a, a, a tangent, if you will, but one of the most important things, I think, as a finance, uh, particularly the CFO and finance professional, is understanding where your revenue comes from. And on a very simple uh, simple view is to say your sales equal your revenue. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, in the case of a PepsiCo, yes, you sell a, a can of soda or a bag of chips, put it on the shelf, that's your revenue. You get into the asset management world, your revenue is really driven by the uh, total uh, asset balances you have under management. And actually, day-to-day sales or month-to-month sales has very little to do with uh, with what your revenue is. It's really driven by asset balances. So it's a very different business and very different way to look at, uh, you know, look at how a P&L is constructed. So you learn some pretty interesting things if you work in different industries. 
And then I would I would add that now here at Morpher's Floor, uh, which has a a, uh, a a long history of selling subscription-related uh, products. Uh, 180 years ago, it, it might be a, a publication. Now it's subscription software. A subscription has a different revenue recognition to it. So you do get a lot of kind of stretch your mind and you learn a lot more about how different businesses run by going into these different businesses from a finance standpoint. So, uh, a, bit of a, a bit of a left turn from your question, Jack, but that's okay. But I, I think it's been very helpful and valuable to me to have seen different business models. Oh, no doubt. You know, I uh, was little doubt, and I just want to mention you were with uh, Putnam Investments and Fidelity Investments. Again, an investment of your time up the career ladder. Uh, so far, you don't have the CFO title, and I think it's interesting. I don't think at that point in time, it wasn't like many of our guests, perhaps, who are very focused on more or less the CFO office. You're still open to all sorts of opportunities, and that's the way your resume reads to me. That's not to say you're any less likely to end up in the CFO role, but it looks to me that you're, uh, you almost have a bottom-up resume where you have this strategy strike from a very early part of your career, whereas uh, very often uh, for some of our guests, they get that strategy strike only after they enter the C-suite and become a little more big picture as far as uh, the company's business at large. Anyway, does any of what I'm sharing here or reflecting on, uh, and I, I, given I have a very abbreviated look into your, your career building, uh, what would you uh, correct me on? Well, I, I, I think your accurate. My path may look a little bit different. Um, I think in many respects, every path is a straight line when you look backwards. Uh, if you read going forward, it might be might be a little bit different. Might uh, in some cases opportunistic. Uh, I, I will say that uh, uh, financial services, the uh, the wealth management financial services industry, took a bit of a, a change at one point in there too. But I've always enjoyed, frankly, and, and this is a very common theme, um, very common theme through my background, and I think. I think it's an important theme for uh, folks in finance, at least uh, folks who want to you know, work with corporations and businesses and help them run better. You want to, you have to want to work with a business. You have to want to get your uh, you know, get involved in the business, get your hands hands dirty in the business. Um, and so every role that I've taken, I've wanted to be working alongside the business, not you know, in a back office or in a, uh, you know, a shop separated. Uh, so, you know, even now, uh, looking at Walter's Kluwer, uh, many of our values really are very customer-oriented, very uh, focused on what the customer is doing, helping the customer succeed. And, uh, and, and so I've kind of always had that desire to work within the business and help the business do better. And, you know, I, I, frankly, I've ended up here now for about 13 years with a company where that is one of their core values. So, it, 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 again, it lines up nicely now when you look backwards. But I agree with you, I might not have the typical CFO path uh, that others uh, others may see. 
interesting uh, sector. Now, maybe you can provide us with uh, an overview of Walter's Kluwer, because uh, as you described, you entered uh, the company uh, via the healthcare uh, business, and then you uh, moved into the tax and accounting business, where you ascend into the uh, the CFO role. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Walter's Kluwer has, has uh, four primary groups uh, in the health sector, tax and accounting. Uh, legal and finance risk and compliance. So four basic groups were all more or less about a quarter of the Walters Kluwer Corporation. Uh, each one has a uh, each, each one of those groups has a CEO and a CFO. And so I'm the CFO of the uh, tax and accounting organization. And of course, we have a, uh, a CEO, uh, chairman, and CFO of all of Walters Kluwer. Uh, so. That, that's the basic structure of Walters Kluwer. And as I say, all, all four groups are about the same size, uh, more or less in terms of revenue. And so tax and accounting is, it's actually, uh, it's actually about the biggest group. Again, it, it varies how you want to measure it. But uh, we cover, from a historical perspective, is it, is it uh, you know, was it one of the original uh, offerings or? Did it emerge over time? It emerged over time, and I, I'm going to be a little um, uh, a little shaky on some of the history because we we are a 180 year old company, so I don't know all the details there. Uh, one of the first businesses they bought, I think, was a, a publisher who came over and published in Health, and then this family had come over on the Mayflower. So we have very we have a very long long history, uh, but we it's a Dutch company and originally. Uh, originally uh, founded in the Netherlands, tax uh, and accounting began to come on the scene. And this, I think, is true with a lot of publishing industries, uh, publishing businesses. Uh, if you go, uh, you know, currently the tax and accounting business is about 90% digital. But if you go back, obviously, you know, 30, 40 years, there was no such thing as digital. So way back, we got our, our start in tax and accounting, I think this is accurate, uh, in uh, publishing the tax forms when the IRS first, you know, came about a hundred and, you know, hundred and a couple years ago. Uh, so we, we started uh, in producing forms. And then you can imagine over time, uh, the forms and the tax rules and the tax uh, details and information with formulas, that eventually became software over the last, 20, 30, 40 years, depending on when you want to say we first started with quote software. So, um, so we, we have a fairly long history in uh, in the tax and accounting uh, business. Um, we had acquired a company called CCH about 22 years ago, I think it is, um, which was fairly deep in uh, tax and legal publishing, uh, as well as uh, quite a business in software. So. We're a company in general that has grown through acquisition, and we have uh, proved ourselves also with uh, uh, with the vestiges of businesses as we've evolved. So we, we really are a uh, changing and evolving company. It's interesting how you evolved into the software industry, really, and you did that both, I imagine, organic as well as through acquisition, as you just explained. 
what does that do evolve to a subscription model, where I would imagine these offerings are now largely subscription-based, or were they always, in some respects, subscription-based? Well, as a mix of products, if you go back to our early publishing groups, we would have had subscriptions for uh, various journals and uh, uh, newsletters that kept you up to date on what was changing in, uh, let's say, the, the health business or, uh, or tax or accounting or legal. Um, so there, there is a uh, fairly long history of subscriptions. Uh, but in terms of software, software has, has come both in, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, purchase software as well as license and maintenance software, and now we have uh, subscription software as well. So we've always had some element of subscription in our, in our uh, business model. Uh, and now with the software and cloud offerings, um, you know, that, that continues, and that I uh, believe will continue to be the case going forward, that we will be... Uh, uh, continuing to evolve towards more, more subscriptions. And, and you know what I'm segueing towards here is, of course, your your metrics that you pay close attention to. I have to believe you're. Uh, when we talk about the first numbers you look at in the morning, you're looking at uh, renewals, you're looking at customer retention, you're looking at those subscription numbers to make sure they're they're where they're supposed to be. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I, I would I would add to that that you know. My morning is not everybody's morning. Uh, that's one exciting thing about being a global business uh, is that uh, I, you know, when I first look at the computer or first look at the cell phone, somebody else somewhere has been up seven, eight, nine hours. Uh, so, so there's usually a lot going on. Um, uh, but absolutely, um, very important to track uh, subscriptions uh, and the, the, the renewals, uh, renewal rates, Pricing you're getting on renewals, uh, but also new sales, new customers. You want to continue to bring in, um, bring in new customers or bring in new logos, as we might say. Um, so all that is is very important uh, to the business. But absolutely, the the uh, subscription base, uh, you know, the existing customer is really key to us, uh, and uh, providing for them what they need, making sure they're getting the value out of, out of uh, the product and the relationship and uh, keeping that subscription uh, that subscription relationship healthy, that, that, is, that is very key. And so we, we watch that extremely carefully and focus on that. Are you discovering new ways uh, to measure the customer experience? I mean, is it a, do you find that becoming a, you know, a bigger focus of your time? And again, in the subscription world, I think it's interesting. Part of the reason I asked that question originally was so many of the software companies, CFOs that we've spoken with, they've been on this journey, as you know, from the on-premise solution to the subscription model. Sounds like you didn't have to do that at Walters Bluer. You guys were already with the subscription world, so kind of aligned nicely as you beat up your software offerings. But at the same time, like the software folks, and you're part of that world, really, you're becoming much more customer-centric. Is that, is that something you agree with? If I was to say you're probably learning new ways to look and measure that, that experience, is that, is that correct? Uh, we are. We're, we're uh, learning not just new ways to look and measure, but to uh, just uh, you know, satisfy customer, customer needs. Um, 
making sure our a few things. Let me let me kind of jump to a couple of areas that uh, that are important to us. Uh, one more and more as you have cloud-based uh, products, uh, you can monitor uh, whether someone's using your product. Uh, are they getting value for it? Uh, if what you don't want is to sell a product to a customer and then find they don't really use it. That's that's eventually going to be a, a, a product that will uh, not renew and uh, you know be be a loss. So uh, monitoring customer usage, uh, making sure they're able to use it, uh, working with the customers to understand how it works for them, how it could work better. Um, you know, really engaging with the customer. That's that's very important and very important for subscription businesses. Uh, also, frankly, there are a lot of new technologies now that enable you to provide better customer service. Uh, for example, in some cases we have uh, we have bots that will take uh, uh, phone calls, uh, customer service phone calls, ones that we can uh, clearly delineate uh, can be handled in, in an automated fashion. So uh, no longer do you have to necessarily wait to queue for a new one. We also have a lot of self-help on the internet, and that's now uh, a, a sort of a relatively new technology that enables the customers to uh, to get better service. So, uh, absolutely uh, focusing on how best to, you know, frankly, help a help a customer succeed is uh, is very important to us. Um, something else, separately from sort of the ongoing relationship. When you're onboarding, when you're bringing on a new customer, uh, making sure that they they come on board successfully, they implement the product successfully. Uh, more, uh, we have we have some uh, corporate products, uh, product called Together, uh, product called Teammate that that requires some. Uh, there's some upfront involvement. Uh, you know, it's not just software you plug it and turn on. So you need to work uh, closely with the uh, customer there um, to uh, to make sure that uh, you know, let's say by CCH together, that you have a, a, a good onboarding, a close relationship with the client to help them install it uh, as optimally and as uh, quickly as uh, and accurately as you can. So that's that's an important part of. Do you guys uh, use that net promoter score at all, or do you do your own sort of surveys of customers and what have you? Uh, we do use a promoter score. Uh, we, uh, you know, it's, it's one of many things that we've used to, you know, look at and, and uh, uh, manage and, and monitor uh, what people think of our uh, of our products. You know, it's such a unique place. Uh, understanding how your customers are using uh, these offerings to address and uh, you know their accounting and tax needs. I, you know, which as a finance leader, uh, again, you have this line of sight into the problem spots, is what I would call them, the areas where some of the companies are feeling pain, where they're looking for your software to ease the pain. Am I oversimplifying this? Or how would you characterize uh, what I, I think? There are so many uh, discussion groups and conferences where, where people are trying to expose how the finance function is evolving and how, how that finance function is likely to evolve. It seems to me you might have some greater insight than other CFOs. How would you respond to that thought? 
Well, I think we certainly do have the opportunity when we work with clients to understand, and, and this is this is really part of what we we have to do to succeed, and we, we strive to do. We to understand what their pain points are. So, with, kind of with, it, with any product we have, working with the client, uh, we we get to know we get to know how the clients are using the product, what the clients trying to achieve with the product. Um, uh, also, frankly, uh, if you spend time with clients, you, you also see where they could perhaps uh, benefit from a new a new feature or a new innovation. Um, as you as you spend time with clients, seeing what they do, uh, often uh, what is most interesting is not just what they do with your product, but what they do, let's say, use the expression, ten minutes before they use our product and ten minutes after. So what's going on there? What is their innovation? Uh, are there changes? Are there products that can be developed that um, that help the client in that time where they're not using the product? And that could be that could be something that uh, uh, you know attaches to your product or changes your product or you know additional uh, additional features or functionality that uh, that might be available for clients. So it really um, uh, it really comes down to uh, uh, spending time with the clients, working closely with the clients, uh, and, uh, uh, and 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 seeing how they operate. Uh, we have a we have a product uh, that is uh, that is, is coming out that uh, you know voice uh, voice enabled uh, in, in to give you a short, very short story. You know, spending time with the client, we found that. Uh, uh, one of the uh, users of the software would yell across the office floor to somebody uh, to get an answer, and we took that we took that back and went to our technology folks and said, "Can you build uh, you know, voice uh, voice activated or voice uh, recognition software that will spit back the answer that someone needs, so they don't have to necessarily yell across the floor to somebody?" So again. It really comes down to spending the time with the, with the customer and the client to see how they use the product, where their pain points are, and how they can you know, improve that product or that uh, that workflow experience. Now, I wouldn't doubt that you have, you know, during the course of the year, you might make time for even you personally to sit down in the chair for us and the client. But how do you get that feedback regularly? I mean, are the members of your team or are the are you interacting with the sales folks and the marketing team along the front line? How do you really understand that the client's pain point? Well, we you know, we are a client. <laughs> we we use a lot of the product. This is this is one thing. Uh, uh, the one thing that I, I like about the mall, we use the product that we sell. Um, we implement the product. We implement CCH to get it, uh, which is a, a corporate performance uh, management tool. Uh, so we, you know, we see live the benefits, um, uh, the benefits of such a, a product, and we see, you know, where we might have questions. So we we live the customer experience. Um, we do that with a, with a number of other products. So we see in in here, and frankly, I would say also, uh, we do try to keep connected with the sales organization um, as a finance function. Um, we we like to. You know, participate in uh, customer events where we have a uh, you know a, a customer.
the show or a customer meeting, we like to send our team there as well to uh, you know, see it, uh, live it, and breathe it. So, um, we, uh, anyway, go ahead, I'm sorry. Can you tell us a little bit about Pagetic? I, I, I've come across this company before. I didn't realize you folks had, had acquired it. I guess it was in the headlines last year or earlier. Why was this a strategic fit for Walter's Clueless? Well, um, CCH together, the, the acquisition, is uh, is a very important tool that gives uh, CFOs and the office of the CFO much greater visibility into their into their business, their operation, their organization. Enables them to do uh, better planning. Enables them to do more efficient uh, uh, closings, reporting, uh, compliance with uh, changing uh, regulations. So it, it's a you know very powerful, very very valuable tool, um, and it resides squarely in the office of CFO to help bring that that functionality and capability. Um, to the finance organization, to the organization as a whole. So the CCH uh, Together is a great solution to some significant pain points in the office of the CFO. And I would say that is really you know where we you know where we overlap or where we where we align as uh, Walter's Cooler because that is what we are trying to do. And yes, the CPS sector was a little bit new for us, um, but it is, uh, it is very much aligned with some other products that we offer. We uh, offer a product called Teammate, uh, which is an audit, a, a global audit software tool. Uh, also, audit is you know, key to the office CFO, and, and uh, the Teammate tool is uh, a highly functioning tool to uh, solve that workflow or assist in that workflow, I should say, and solve pain points in that area. So that's really the, uh, the alignment, uh, and that's the, uh, uh, and that's why Together was so compelling. I, I, you know, I'll tell you a funny little story, uh, frankly, we, as we got to know them, I was in one meeting sitting next to my boss, and uh, we were going through the, uh, uh, the product and the functionality, and I said, you know, I don't know if we're going to acquire the company or not, but I want to buy the software. This looks great. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I don't want to sound like Victor Kayam, but uh, if you remember that person, but uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a very it was a very uh, you know, fascinating uh, uh, experience to see uh, you know to see the to see the tool in action and say, hey, I think this is going to be great for us and for our clients. We always like to ask for a finance strategic insight that you perhaps experienced during the course of your finance career. I'm sure there have been plenty of them. Uh, and again, uh, these are also referred to as aha moments where you might have seen a risk, an opportunity, or something related to your lines of sight into the organization. Anything come to mind? Well, what I would say, and maybe this isn't exactly what you're what you're thinking, but for me, uh, you know, given my background and my engineering background and my quantitative background, um, what I love about finance and, and accounting in general uh, is that it all works. That it is, it is really a it is really a system that hang, you know, hangs together so so beautifully and elegantly in many ways that it really 
holds the uh, it sort of holds the kernel of you know commercial commercial business, and you you can learn so much about about a business. You can you can understand how a business operates, and it all has to you know not only can but it has to make sense within sort of the accounting framework. So it is it is that kind of realization that. Um, you know, I think I think the scientists, the physicists of the world, are still trying to try to unify a lot of the theories in uh, in the natural world. But from an accounting standpoint, they're all there, and you know, the balance sheet, the cash, the cash flow statement, and the P and L all kind of hang together in sort of a beautiful simplicity. Um, <laughs> it may seem a little strange to hear someone talking so excitedly about that, but that that is, I think, uh, a very exciting part. Uh, of, uh, of the finance finance world, the finance function is that that it all works and it's all understandable. And uh, so, drill down wherever you want, you will get to your answers. Thought leader listeners, Eric Bartholomew enters the mentoring round with us after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, we're going to move to the mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to uh, inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, I think it's... Uh, I, I think it's ever-changing. It's ever um, it's, the demands on the finance function are much greater than they ever were. It used to be you closed the books and you moved on. That was it. But finance is really, um, I don't think it's always, it's, at least it's got to be at the table. You have to earn your seat at the table. But it's got to be at the table of, of every good business decision. So, um, you know, if you're a good, if you're a good uh, finance uh, performer, person, contributor, uh, you will be at the seat of the table uh, with every major decision. What do you wish someone had told you at the very start of your CFO career? I think there was a time. I think I grew up in an era when a lot of people would move jobs very frequently. And I think you, I think no one did that thinking they were getting ahead. In some cases, that worked. I think if you can find an organization that you like and that you respect the people and they are an organization that has a history or a track record of providing opportunity to people, I think don't, don't run away from that immediately. You get to do a lot more interesting things sometimes 
if you're a proven commodity within an organization, and you know, then they let you know they let you go do something a little bit different, a little bit outside your comfort zone. So come, I think Walter School is good at this. I think um, uh, you know we're, we're sort of an organization that demands uh, accountability, but also uh, expects everyone to contribute in some way. We're not. Uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we're built to demand that everyone deliver. Uh, so often we will have new and different projects where we have to take existing talent and say, okay, why don't you go try this? This is totally different. I remember one conversation with someone who worked for me who said, geez, I really don't know how to do this. And I said, well, none of the organization does either, so you're about to become the expert in the organization. So uh, uh, I think that's provides a lot of great learning opportunities. So, you know, in a nutshell, sometimes great opportunities are there in your existing organization to, to, to learn and expand your knowledge and work outside your comfort zone. Do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? I think, I think I'm naturally curious. I want to understand how things work. Um, I think, uh, you know, asking questions, Try to, try to really understand. Don't take anything on face value. I always sort of have a, a belief around here. Ask a, a question three, di- three different ways, three different times to really understand something. So I think, I think it's got to be natural and inquisitive. And would you have a book you'd like to recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Uh, maybe, maybe perhaps like my... Uh, uh, my background, I'll, I'll come at this a little bit differently. I've got a few books that I like. I've, I've always liked um, books that uh, you know, tie to history in some way. So uh, I'm kind of a fan of Michael Lewis books, and The Big Short uh, was one of my favorites, and the movie was pretty interesting, too. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers is also interesting. Again, a, a kind of a quantitative look at, uh, uh, at the world around us. And one that I've started, although I have not finished, so it's not there, but it, my daughter turned me on to this uh, book called Animal Spirit, How Human Psychology Drives the Economy. Uh, Akerlof and Schiller are the two authors, uh, pretty renowned authors. I'm not quite way through it, so I, I, I'll withhold my complete uh, recommendation, but, but frankly, it was recommended by my daughter in a finance class she took, which, uh, so I... I Figure it might be some new and different learning for me. I think the title uh, sort of gets across the idea of what that is. Can you give us more of an idea what the what the premise uh, it, behind it is? It talks about. I, I think the the idea of animal spirits goes back to killing. Uh, so it's got a little bit of history of what drives the the economy, uh, and what and I think their twist is that it's not quite as simple as. Um, uh, you know, in, in individual, a collective gathering of individual self-interest that, uh, you know, the government might or might not be able to play a role in driving the economy because the, the perfection of this collection of, of um, self-interest doesn't always work. I'm sure, that's, I'm sure that's not a fair characterization, but I, as I say, I'm only part way into it, but uh, I find it intriguing. Okay, well, Eric, uh, we did, uh, in fact, throw a few extra questions your way, so we uh, thank you for being patient with us and allowing us to explore a little more deeply your career roots. Uh, we're up to our final question. 
over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a CFO? You know, it's it, uh, continue to continue uh, to drive the performance of our business. Uh, we have this new acquisition, which you mentioned, CPH. Yeah, we have some new other new products uh, uh, coming out, CPH uh, IQ, and uh, uh, and then uh, the Answer Connect product, uh, which is relatively new. Uh, so we're continuing to, to monitor those uh, products and make sure they succeed um, and continue to grow. Um, we have, because we are we are a growing business, uh, I have to continue to monitor talent. Uh, I think talent is really critical to our business. Uh, uh, so uh, as we have positions open or new markets that need new folks, uh, got to keep an eye on that. Um, I think we're, we're you mentioned earlier the idea of uh, you know, monitoring uh, customer success and subscriptions, and we are definitely focusing, uh, we're continuing to focus on our existing client base. Uh, and then uh, uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, you know, innovation in new products uh, is something we have to uh, stay on top of. New products uh, coming from either new technologies and or um, uh, new windows into customer service. Uh, we, have to, we have to find those innovative ideas. We have to make sure we fund the cost of them and try to spend 8 to 10% of our uh, revenue on new products. Um, so we, we have to you know, make sure we have a good pipeline of those products. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.